0: Podcast from Aberdeen Investment
1: Trusts. Welcome to today's podcast on the Dunedin Income Growth Investment Trust. I'm Cherry Raynard and with me today are the Trust Managers Ben Ritchie and Rebecca McLean. We're going to be taking a look at the latest earnings season, Unilever's sustainability controversy and what they've been up to on the fund over the past couple of months. So welcome Ben, uh, welcome Rebecca. Ben, we've just finished the third quarter reporting season. Um, have there been any kind of highlights or lowlights for you? It's been
2: quite a volatile period, Cherry, I think would be the way to describe it. And we've seen some really strong results and we've seen some very positive share price reactions to updates. And we've seen some some disappointing results and some very uh, sharp declines in share prices. So I think the sort of mood of the market, so to speak, has, has definitely moved into Looking for weakness and then uh, punishing companies for disappointing expectations, missing guidance, cutting profit forecasts in a way that I don't think we've seen uh, for quite a while. Um, but on the other hand, investors are very much looking for the kind of companies that are capable of of navigating what are becoming more challenging markets and rewarding them as well. So it's been a very, um, I would say, bifurcated. Market. So we've seen stocks, not necessarily that we own, uh, but, but but get punished very hard for, um, for for missing expectations. So just in the period of time uh, since the end of the third quarter, you know we've seen stocks like Rent-A-Kill, you know down over over thirty percent on what were pretty modest reductions to guidance. Really, um, you've seen companies like Dr. Martin's as well missing expectations and being and being punished uh, pretty hard. And, it, and it's generally although not exclusively it has generally been stocks with a little bit more consumer exposure that have found life uh, a little bit trickier and typically it's been the more international stocks and we've also seen um downgrades from the likes of Diageo um, warning on weaker Latin American sales but perhaps also a bit concerned about about North America uh, on the other hand, where companies have, have delivered expectations or, or or suggested that actually life is is looking better for them, then we've seen some very strong share price performance. So the likes of Sage, uh, after their after their results, the stock price was up uh, significantly. Companies like Auto Trader have also done well as well. Um, so there's been quite a lot of positivity, and I think the other area, the other area where there's been, I think, a general sense of good news coming into the market has been around uh, domestic cyclicals. Um, the UK-focused businesses have actually had a pretty good time of it the last few months, and I think that's really been driven by a uh, a bit more of a stable environment for the economy. It's not it's not exactly rip roaring growth, but equally it's not terrible either. But I think the big driver has been uh, a reduction in, in in bond yields, and and I think the growing expectation that inflation has peaked, it's coming down, and it's likely at some point uh, in 24. But we start to see interest rates coming down. And that's obviously going to be pretty positive for things like house builders, construction, uh, domestic retail, and so forth. Uh, and we've seen some pretty good performances uh, for those companies. And as, as we've talked about many times on this podcast, you know that part of the market is already on very, very low valuations and very, very low expectations. So if you put low expectations and low valuations together with an improving outlook for fundamental earnings, then that's not a bad place to be. So we've seen some pretty good some pretty good performance from that segment of the market. So overall, I think it's been a really interesting period, and there's been opportunities to both make and lose money in a a reasonably large degree over that period. And I would say it's the kind of market environment that that we quite like because it's rewarding a focus on on proper fundamentals, which is how are these companies going to do from an earnings perspective? I think it's rewarding the more resilient, better companies, which typically tend to be where we put our capital. Um, and I, I think it sets us up for quite an interesting um, period as we move into, into 24. So I think a very interesting period, quite challenging, but ultimately, I think being quite a, quite a rewarding one.
1: OK, thanks. I mean, it's interesting, that differentiation point. Um I mean, Rebecca, one of your UK fund manager peers complained recently that there was zero focus on valuation in the UK market. Is that something you're still seeing a bit? Or are you, you know, as Ben says, are you sort of tentatively starting to see that differentiation come back into market? And, if, and, you know, if so, why is that happening?
0: Well, I mean, I think there has been a a, a reset of valuation expectations you know, over the last two years, for a number of reasons which are fair for the market to sort of reassess what price they pay for assets. Um, so, you know, a number of headwinds for the UK market, including rising inflation, interest rates, geopolitics. And then on top of that, some quite negative outflows from the sector, which has really weighed on valuations and, you know, it got to a point where our assessment would be the UK market is priced for recession and that that recession risk is is very sort of front of mind uh, within a sort of price within to the valuations of the the businesses. Um, So I think sort of an element of that is, is correct in terms of thinking about discount rates and the earnings yield of the market versus the risk free rate being you know, gilts being at um five and a quarter percent and the earnings yield of the market being about nine percent to reflect that equity risk which you would expect but i think it you know it probably has been overdone um and actually the way that we look at the opportunity set we're seeing a number of of interesting opportunities where you know valuations have come down to levels which are really pricey and some quite severe outcomes and um, negative outcomes and so sort of as ben said we we quite like this environment I mean we're we're quite excited about the opportunities which we see on the horizon to invest in some really good quality and resilient businesses um, at attractive valuations which we haven't seen for a number of years so yeah we, we certainly sort of see that the valuations come back as creating opportunities and I suppose the other element of it as well when we think about valuation of the market and our income um, our income focus for Dunedin you know we're looking to generate an attractive dividend and, and a resilient dividend for the trust um, is to actually look at the distributions from the underlying companies within the market. Um, so, you know, not only looking at the dividend yield of the UK market, but also looking at the buyback yields where companies in the UK you know, generally have good balance sheets, uh, you know, cash generative, and, and they are they're looking at their own um stock price and are deciding to buy back their own shares because they see value in doing that. At a market level, the dividend plus buyback yield is about 6.5%, which is um, attractive versus history, but also versus other markets. So that compares to about 4.5% for Europe and and 3.5% for the US. So the UK sort of does stand out on an earnings yield, but also on that distribution yield, which again is, is helpful for us when we're trying to identify companies which we think are in a position to deliver resilient earnings and cash generation through the cycle, um, so yeah, we and we think it's a, um, an attractive time to be looking at the UK market, given valuations, and are, are using our bottom-up fundamental analysis of the companies in order to identify, you know, which of those companies which are most attractive are going to provide us the resiliency through the cycle, given their strength of their financials, their competitive moat, uh, the industries that they um, that they operate in, but also their ESG performance. So yeah, generally, sort of. Cautiously optimistic in terms of when we look
1: out to next year. Okay, thanks, Rebecca. I mean, Ben, one of the problems with the UK has been that this perception that it doesn't provide exposure to any of the kind of fast growing sort of sexier areas like technology. Um, to what extent is that a misconception? You know, is it possible to get areas, you know, exposure to kind of growth markets like digitization perhaps or AI through the UK market?
2: I think when you look at the headline construction of the index, it's true that there's there's not a lot of technology and and not necessarily a lot of the sectors that are sort of proxy for technology. I mean, I think it's if you look at the U.S. market, it's not just the technology weighting, but it's the sort of I think the the prevalence of tech-focused businesses that run throughout the market. And you know, people might argue that there's thirty or forty percent of the index there that's in some form of technology. Um, When you look at the UK, the the headline numbers are 5% or something like that in terms of the uh, technology way maybe even slightly lighter. So there is that sort of discrepancy. But I guess one of the great things about managing a portfolio and doing it in an active sense is you don't have to follow the market, right? So you can put as much capital as you want into these these areas. And then the other side to it is we've also got the capacity to invest 25% of the portfolio outside of the UK, which gives us, uh, I think, uh, also quite a lot more flexibility when it comes to that side of things. And I think if you're prepared to look particularly down the market, then you can find companies that are quite well geared into some of these attractive long-term structural trends. Um, you know, Sage is a business that's gone on quite an interesting journey over the last 10 years. I mean, when I first uh, looked at Sage, it was you know, putting it very simply. I'm sure somebody would be upset with this description, but essentially sold you know, accounting software on CDs and its real key competitive advantage was a large call centre in uh, outside of Newcastle, which would guide local businesses through the uh, sort of inner workings of accounting policies and tax policies. And I think today it's become uh, much more of a digital business, uh, cloud-enabled business, and it's become much more global business. And that journey that it's been on has created a faster growing, more profitable, more resilient better business which has uh, put itself into a position to be a real leader in terms of providing uh, accounting software to SMEs globally and that's a, that's been quite a transition and quite a journey but it's been a it's been a very successful one I mean something like RelEx would also move into that area again you know a company which traditionally published academic papers moving into a world essentially of, of providing subscriptions and digital tools and in a much higher margin, more recurring, and and faster growing way than it was able to do in the past, and that's a business which has taken quite large parts of its academic publishing businesses and and moved them from effectively being a very profitable but not no growth business to becoming a, a an area which is actually you know starting to grow at reasonable levels and continuing to expand its its profitability. Uh, and maybe the final one would probably be LSE, where again that business has been on a journey away from essentially market infrastructure a place where it would get paid because people do transactions on its exchanges and list companies to an owner of data and a seller of data and that's again a business which has gone on a a very interesting transition through that period today I think 85% of its sales are subscription-based completely moved away Uh, from the traditional market infrastructure businesses, really, which it has, which are a very small part of the business overall, into an area which is really all about effectively selling financial data to to people on on, on subscriptions, which gives very high levels of profitability and, and great visibility on those sales. So I think there's, there's three interesting companies there, which traditionally may have been a little sluggish, but which have moved with the industry dynamics and have put themselves into a very strong position. Now, there's no great surprise. I mean, Everyone's well aware of you know, the good things about Relics or LSE or Sage, but we still think at the current valuations that they're in position to deliver us quite attractive returns and they're not going to double year on year. But we still see you know comfortable double digit type return potential from those businesses on an annual basis, and if you compound that up that's going look that's going to look pretty good and all three of them capable of, of delivering you know healthy growth in, in cash distributions to shareholders both from uh, from dividends and buybacks and I think all three of them have announced pretty substantial buybacks moving through into into twenty four so if you're prepared to do the digging and I think if you're prepared to be patient and go on the journey with some of these businesses, then there are some really interesting opportunities and I think the other part of the market is, is when you start to go down the market cap. And again, we have a lot of flexibility. We've got a great small cap team uh, with uh, Abby and Amanda at Aberdeen. And really good insights into the smaller part of the market. Great insights into the European market with uh, Andrew Paisley and, and Juliana as well. Um, and, and there are some real, really great little companies in that in that space, which, again, uh, have good access into, into technology as well. So I think if you're prepared to do the digging, if you're prepared to be patient and take the long term view, then there are plenty of opportunities. I think it's just it's just you just have to see the picture a little differently to the to the simple index framing, which we which we get a lot of the time.
1: Right. If we could take a look at the kind of sustainability side of the portfolio now, um, Rebecca, I wonder if there's been any notable engagement activity over the month. Um,
0: Yeah, we've had um, a number of engagements across the portfolio and it's been quite a busy period in the last couple of months around factors such as consultations for remuneration, for example, um, and some thematic engagements on topics such as climate change and climate resiliency. but one sort of area which we've been looking into is the house building sector. And we've got a position in Taylor Wimpy in Digit. And what's happening there is that there's a new regulation which is going to be impacting the whole industry called the future home standards. And um, it comes in in Scotland in 2024 and in England in 2025. And um, what this means is, is that new homes um, need to be built to produce 75 to 80% less carbon than current building regulations um, permit. So there's quite a material step change in the carbon efficiency of new houses from 2024 and 25 required. And what this means is that it's really driving innovation across the house building industry in order for the house builders to work out how they can deliver these savings to to their customers. So um, we've been looking into the implications of the industry um, and how the different companies are preparing themselves for this new regulation. And um, Taylor Wimpey have been trialing different technologies. So they've got five homes that they've built in Sudbury uh, with different combinations of technology and fabrication in order to test the combinations to see how the homes perform from an energy perspective but also you know the cost of installation of the technologies and also the running costs which is you know given cost of living is a really important part of of the house owners um you know decision to make to make the purchase so um I think um, Taylor Wimpey is doing a a good job in terms of being able to uh, run these trials. So they're looking at things like triple glazing, um, heat pumps, levels of insulation, um, and all the different sort of combinations for different types of houses to see what that best combination is. And I think what this probably means is that um, you're probably gonna see some divergence between the different house builders in terms of how they go about meeting the standards, which is going to be different from the past, um, and it probably means that those companies with the superior resources, so the bigger, the bigger house builders, are going to be better placed to be able to, to work on that innovation and also the execution for the regulation. So that's where you know a scaled house builder like Taylor Wimpey should be relatively well positioned. So we'll continue to monitor the company's progress uh, with regards to this, and um, they now are looking at the the quantitative data around. The the cost of running um, these houses and the environmental impact of running them too um, before they make final decisions but you know certainly it's, it's sort of watch this space and we'll continue to speak to the company about about what that means and then I suppose you know the next question is given the investment required to upgrade the buildings to meet future home standards the question then turns into who pays for them the, the extent to which um, it's the house builders or will it be reflected in home prices? Um, So, yeah, still certainly some question marks over the materiality from an investment perspective to the house builders. Um, But we do see that Taylor Wimpey should be relatively well placed in order to meet these regulatory standards.
1: There's also been some controversy over Unilever uh, more recently, and it's sort of rode back on some of its sustainability commitments. Um, It's quite a big holding in the trust. I mean, what, what, what do you make of that?
0: There's a lot of change taking place at Unilever. Um, so, Heinz Schumacher has been in the business since July and has really come in to shake up the culture, um, the investment landscape at Unilever in order to focus on its key brands and a drive growth within the business. So, um, you know, the business itself is undergoing a um, Huge amount of change under this new leadership. Um, And as part of that, sustainability has been reviewed too. And so the announcements that we've heard from the business is that they are looking to focus their sustainability strategy and with that reduce the number of targets that they have in place. So, as, as a business, they certainly are considered by the market to be a leader when it comes to sustainability. And indeed, the targets that they've set out are comprehensive and ambitious Um, but um, Unilever has assessed that in terms of being able to deliver against those targets they were probably spread too thin with too many long-term commitments, which meant that in a bid to, to meet them, they were, they were not fulfilling those short-term commitments, which are, um, you know, which are needed to drive that change. So they yeah, they're looking to focus their approach on um, four key areas. we yet to get the detail on it, but um, it will be a sort of slimming down in terms of the strategy there and the resources. Um, so, you know, what do we think about that? I mean, I, I'm supportive of that approach, and um, it's consistent with our approach to considering ESG of businesses. We, you know, we're not asking companies to disclose every single metric and KPI, which they can, but instead we want companies to focus on what are the most material environmental, social, and governance issues facing the business, um, and. Focusing on on those material ones, um, I think it is the right strategy. Um, Also linking it to the financials too. So when you're setting out targets and thinking about what it is that it's going to bring to the business in terms of mitigating risks and also um, seeking opportunities. Uh, So I think that that is consistent with our approach. And finally, I think the point about having long term versus short term commitments is an important one. We do ask companies to... also publish short-term targets in order for us to be able to monitor progress against those longer term targets. Um, So hopefully the new strategy will enable us to do that better. So setting those milestones and monitoring progress against them um, I think is consistent with the the way that we would think about when we analyse companies from an ESG perspective. So yeah broadly I'm supportive with the approach but you know we need to look at the details really in terms of being able to analyse for example their climate targets and the credibility of that plan you know we need to look at the strategy the technology their ability to succeed in terms of achieving those targets so you know there's certainly more work to be done um but sort of at a a headline level I think the approach is the right one.
1: Thanks Rebecca and Ben if you could just kind of wrap up for us with a look at any kind of notable changes you've made over the past month or two yeah we haven't
2: been making major changes to the portfolio i mean hopefully the impression that we're giving we may be failing <laughs> is to is to give an impression of confidence in our positioning and and actually thinking we're we're well placed for whatever comes next year and i think i think it's an interesting situation where we're probably looking into a more difficult global economy but where there is perhaps some interesting offsets to come through for u k companies because they've already hit the trough and expectations have already become incredibly low. So there's this interesting piece of the market where um, we feel quite bullish, even though even though prospects, they look particularly bright. And I think that really all comes back to sort of valuation and what's in the price on a part of the market. And then I think in general terms, we, we tend to own companies which are less cyclical, more resilient, have more structural growth, have better balance sheets, better margins and a better position for when times get tough, which is You know probably what we've got in store for us as we look through into next year Um, and and to that end activity within the portfolio has really been around sort of tending at the margins so it's been continuing to generate a bit of income from option writing um, writing some calls where we think uh, stocks have got a little expensive where we want to reduce positions um, putting some puts in place where we want to increase positions Um, and it's also been tending where We've seen stocks underperform, and we have had some stocks that have been quite weak for, for various reasons, none of which we, we think are particularly uh, sort of terminal or, or significant. But we've added to things like Mercedes. We've added to Pets at Home, uh, which has been weak on the back of some overruns in terms of their new distribution center that they've been putting in and some concerns on regulatory oversight of their vets business. But we don't, don't really see that as a sort of major incumbents in, in the long term. And we've also added to Assurer, which owns uh, medical practices, GP surgeries, uh, which has been weak, you know, primarily because of bond yields. And we certainly look at a world where we think that that's probably peaked. So we've been adding to capital to those positions. We added a bit to Diageo, which had been weak on its, uh, on its update as well. Uh, we put a bit more capital into Prudential, again, sort of given back um, some of its earlier gains as enthusiasm around uh, China reopening and waned. And we'd also added to our position in Sirius real estate, which is a, an owner primarily of German uh, small industrial assets, but it also owns some similar type assets in the UK. And again, um, they'd be looking to raise some, some additional capital, which we were happy to subscribe to. So it's been sort of tending around the margins, I think adding to companies where we see a, attractive long-term potential and where share prices have been a little weaker. And, and the, probably the one sort of more significant change has been selling out of Coca-Cola Hellenic, uh, really I think uh, of, of a combination of elements but I think one actually where I think our ESG assessment of the company raised more questions Um I think we were uh, somewhat uncomfortable with the sort of what the prospects were for um, PET recycling in some of the markets that they operate in particularly in some of their emerging emerging assets and and still a little bit uncomfortable about their positioning in Russia now none of that was terminal but I think when we balance that together with a, a share price that's recovered strongly since the the uh, Ukraine-Russia war um, uh, and other available areas to put capital into, we decided that it was time to move on from that. And that, that's an interesting one because I think we very much have a differentiated view on the, the risks to the business model from their environmental strategy compared to some of the sort of wider market participants. So I think that's quite interesting. So overall, you know, a few bits and pieces around the edges, uh, but I think you know, continuing that allocation of capital into companies where we see better long-term returns and try to take advantage of bits of share price weakness as well in the process.
1: Great. Okay, thank you, Ben. We'll wrap up there. Um, And obviously, thanks to Rebecca as well for those insights today. And thank you to everyone for tuning in. You can find out more about the trust at dunedinincomegrowth.co.uk. And please do join in next time.